Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. theater lovers both out and proud and on the dl welcome to broadway breakdown a podcast discussing the history and legacy of american theater's most exclusive address broadway this series is called underestimated and it is covering shows that either had mild success when they first premiered on broadway or no success at all but have since gone on to have a long and healthy life i am your host matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the broadway podcast hosts and with me today is another Broadway podcast host, well, musical podcast host, let's say. Uh, You might have heard me on his podcast, Life's Put a Song, many a time. Please welcome for the first time on this podcast, John Riley. Hi, John. Hi, Matt Koplik. Now that John knows how to say my last name, he'll never not say my last names, just so it's drilled in his brain forever. The way that you trained me to say it. Like a little monkey. You're a monkey, Derek. Dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> How are you doing today, John? Oh, I'm good. It's it's so much fun talking with you because, I mean, now that I'm a guest on your podcast, who knows what I'm going to say? Huh? We love to see it. You come into my house. You play by my rules. You take off your shoes and you throw them out the window. That's what you do in my home. I, I did. And I did. And she did. Barefoot. Yes. What? So this episode will be coming out, I think, in mid-June. Can you tell the listeners around this time what they can expect to hear on your podcast? My my what? On your, <laughs> on your podcast. Your podcast. Uh, and uh, okay, so mid-June. Um, it depends on the day, but we may have just done School of Rock. Um, and actually we just did your episode of the king and i (laughs) the not just the king and i john but the animated 1999 version of the king and i where i asked matt do you hate me during the episode and i fully said to his face yes i do yes 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 you did yes i did which is evident also based on the musical i gave you for this series yeah. <laughs> uh, so, John, what what musical are we talking about today? We're here to talk about the star-studded, composed musical working. Yes, we are. And also had a pretty stacked cast in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. I kind I So I've never done the show in any which way, shape, or form, but I've heard of it. Because, mm-hmm. like, I went to... Um, I went to a camp for the arts. No big deal. Uh, uh, what camp did you go to? 
Use Dance Center for the Performing Arts out on Long Island. Love it. Um, and I remember seeing in the theater area, they would make like these giant posters, uh, like painted posters. So this way we can advertise them for, or, what, or like have them stand outside of the theater for when the audience comes in. And I remember seeing this poster for so many years and just had no idea what it was about, really. It's not about anything. They fooled you. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I no, mean, you're... It's, it's based off of something, so. Yeah, uh, it's based off of the Studs Turkle book uh, uh, working, which is a book of interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into all that in a hot second. So that was your, that's your only really uh, connection to the show. Um, and then, and then when I worked at Stage Door Manor. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Say that again. I worked as a costume designer at Stage Door Manor for four years. And one of those years, I think it was my first year, they did it as a show. And it seems like from what I know of the show from there, and then from a little research I did in preparation for this, that seems like a show that like, if you have a lot of people, you can throw them into this easily. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all reviews are done a lot at high schools and community theaters and regional theaters and summer camps, because it doesn't matter how many roles are technically in the show. You can make up as many as you want based on how many people you have in your cast, right? Like, yeah, working on Broadway, I think was a cast of 17 originally. And then a lot of, regional production since then have pared down and been, you know, 10 or eight or whatever. Or like uh, 25. Yeah. At stage door, it's always like 25, uh, maybe 25 to 30 probably. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot. Well, cause there are a lot of roles and there, people are supposed to double up, but, or triple up in some cases or quadruple up. But I know at stage door where I also went, not as a costume designer, but as a camper slash star. A... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that journey for me. Mm-hmm. But I did, I, we shared a theater with working one of my summers, whatever show I did. I don't remember which one it was, but we shared the theater with working and they, you know, it was perfectly fine, but we all kind of sat there watching their dress rehearsal going, it's just this the entire time. Like it's, it's just cats. It's just about cats. Yes. Well, okay. So, 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 so cats working and a chorus line all sort of share a little bit of DNA. As well as, well, and then add in Songs for a New World for, for yeah. this. Yeah, and yeah. Songs for a New World, I suppose. The So when Working was coming out, they really tried to market it as like the blue collar version of a chorus line. You know, it's the working man's musical because a chorus line is about people trying to get a job and they're all telling their life stories and their connection to the job they're trying to get. But working doesn't really share that. Like a chorus line, there is there's a story. There's a a goal for everyone on that stage. But in the show, they all are trying to get this one job and they are all talking to one person. They're all in the room together. There's 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 something at stake. Working is just people coming on stage being like, I work nine to five. I work eight to two. I work midnight to midnight. I have children at home who need feeding. I have no children. I'm a hooker. I'm a teacher. Like, it's just that. I'm Mongo Jerry. I'm Rumpel Teaser. I'm Grizabella. I'm Rum Tum Tugger. Weirdly, Cats is sort of like in the middle between uh, chorus line and working. Because Cats, they also like have the goal of wanting to get to the heavy side layers. Like, there is... 
the unanswered question until the very end, which is, you know, who gets to be chosen. But until then, whereas a chorus line, it's everyone has, you know, connections and there's dialogue and there's stories and there's emotions. Cats is, well, answer the question at the very end. But in the meanwhile, here are a bunch of people or a bunch of cats doing a bunch of stuff singing about themselves. So working is, they basically were like, okay, let's take how chorus line has like a goal at the end, but let's get rid of all that like emotional stuff and just make it all the, you know, songs about yourself, like working does. <laughs> and, and somehow cats ended up running for 18 years. Wait, did this come out around the same time as a chorus line? This came out three years after a chorus line did. Okay. Cause it's funny that you brought up a chorus line because in, I, I, I'm going to jump ahead for a hot second in the song, cleaning women. Mm. There's a moment where it musically sounds like Richie's part in the montage of a chorus line. Which part? Um, so where it's like bump, bump, clean in women. So and in chorus line, it's like da 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 a scholarship to life. Da 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 da. Oh yeah. That just just that. Oh, oh, you're thinking you're thinking of that um bump, 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 bump. Yes. Yeah. Because Marvin Hamlish like, don't own that bump bump. Mickey Grant can use it as she wants. Well, you know, I was, I was just listening to it, and that's where my that's where my brain went. Where I was like, I can hear influences from other, so, other shows as well sure. as what was influenced by working. Because I mean, I can make a connection to Diana the Musical if you really want right now. <laughs> Do it right here, right now. Do it right now. The ending. Um, something to point to um building it sounds like it sounds like i can't i can't remember this song in diana but there's a moment in there um is it that melody that see that building i think it's that and then also assassins where that that song that they added in the revival you know oh something just broke or, or I, I know where I was kind of a thing, you know. It's... Oh, in the working revival, sorry. No, no, I meant in the Assassin's revival. Uh, like where they, where it's like ensemble, not the Assassins show up. And they're yeah, like- it's, it's something just broke. It's the, yes. I remember where I was and the na-na-na-na. Sorry, I, I never bothered to learn the name uh, of that song. because yeah. Halfway <laughs> through creating the exams. I love that song. Um, I think that song brings that show together in the end. But, but like- something to point to mm-hmm. it has a similar vibe to that i mean it's a lot happier than something just broke right um, yes yes but yeah. i'm saying like you know you're combining all these stories from different people so like sure it's the idea of everyone has one thing in common but it's a more opaque thing and it's different perspectives on said opaque thing uh-huh. and this is where my brain went when i was listening to both soundtrack both cast albums of i mean working. you are you are also the dude who said in the set in your sound of music episode that Fre- that Friedrich wanted to bang Liesel. And I said, what the fuck is wrong with you? Your brain. If, listen, if my brain is wild, it. your brain is wilder. I stand by that. Well, not Friedrich, the character, the actor looked like he wanted to bang the actress who played his sister. Sure. But just like, did Everyone- it hide the fact when it, when he was, working on film <laughs> i don't think i would be able to hide the fact that i wanted to bang Sharman Carr on film either i'm only so talented listen if i if i'm oscar wilde you're thornton wilder so i need you to just you need me to tone it, it to 
tone it down a little bit? Okay. Don't okay. worry. We'll talk about all the dirty stuff in a second. We got to build to this stuff, John. Um, so back to our connections to this show. Yes, I was also at Stage Room Manor Performing Arts Center uh, where they did working. More importantly, uh, Stage Door has a, they now bill it as a musical theater masterclass, but it's really just an extra show. It's called the Our Time Cabaret. Mm-hmm. And the kids who are really good get to be in it. And it was it's a whole thing. Listen, people call, you know, it elitism. Yes, there is elitism. Some kids get upset they don't get to be in it. I've never seen it. I mean, we're um it's, it's the same show every year with like maybe a minor embellishment here and there, but it's it's 95% the show it's been since like 1995. But there is a they do in the show, I hear America singing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When that was my introduction to uh the show, I think it was. Um, I can't remember if it was after making the rounds or it might've been after, uh, if I had a million dollars after one of the, I think it might've been after making the rounds is when we do, I hear America singing. And so every time I hear the cast recording of working, like I did for this episode, uh, it's not until we finally have that bump, 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 when is I can hear America singing? I'm not finding it anywhere in working. Yeah. Oh, it's not called I Hear America Singing. It's called All the Live Long Day. My apologies. Thank everybody. you. The opening okay. song. But that's the beginning is I Hear America Singing, which is from the Walt Whitman poem. I hear America I know all of my old choreography from OTC for it. One, two, three, four. Just like the song say, all the live long day. Everybody don't know that song. I feel like when this episode comes out, you need to like put that in your story or something. Like you performing it. Oh, I will do an Instagram challenge for all the people I know from Stage Door and say, okay, let's do let's do the choreography. Ah, I want you to turn your head. Woo! Take a look my <laughs> way. I'm getting all that I'll tell you. And also the one, two, three, get going. Just like the song saying, all the live long day. This is where I'm probably going to sh- use a little bit of video from this recording <laughs> to showcase this po- episode. Because as of right now, everything I've just done and said... Hey. Don't judge my, don't judge the room I'm recording it, everyone. It's a little, I didn't bother cleaning it. You don't, if people are judging, they can. Oh, wait, oh, wait, you could, you could use this as in the video too. Hey, hey, stage door. It's backwards. Fuck. No, it looked, it looked right side over here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I I was was there for the 40th, uh, 2015. That was 2015. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was there for the 30th as a camper. As a young, if you can believe it, I was four years old. It was, <laughs> it was very scandalous that I was there. And not only was I there, but I was playing Aida. And everyone's like, well, listen, when you're talented, you're talented. To quote Fanny Bryce, when you're gifted, then you're gifted. And oh, the cream no. rises to the top. And I was a four-year-old who played Aida. 
And if you don't recognize that as humor, everybody, get off my podcast now. <laughs> I was about to be like, I think you're lying right now. <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away, Jan? Oh, there's so many things with that, but I'm just going to leave it. I'm not going to break it, break down that joke. Anyway, all the yes. live long day. She in, um, she in the OTC, the Art Time Cabaret. And that was my only really connection to it. And then I did an after school program for a while called the Plows. And I know we did mill work and they did it with three-part harmony. And it was really lovely. And every time I listen to mill work now, I get disappointed that it's not in three-part harmony. Uh, listen, that link that you sent me and even on the albums, like they are, they, they are like laying it all out. And yeah. they are like, listen, bitches, you're going to hear me for two seconds. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful song and whenever someone gets the chance to do it they really they sang it for for jesus and that's like probably the one big breakout song from the show i know that bet midler had covered it i think even bruce springsteen covered it at one point did james taylor even cover it because he wrote it <sighs> yeah probably honestly i wouldn't be surprised if james taylor did a version of it on well, an album somewhere so um there are multiple com- songwriters for this show like I don't know if it works though, because there are moments mm-hmm. where I'm like Millwork is one where I'm just like, this is a James Taylor song that he mm-hmm. probably just like reworked the lyrics a little bit to make it fit into into I almost I said the wrong I almost said the wrong t- show into working. Mm-hmm. Um but, you almost said Diana, didn't you? I almost said company. Because <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, when when Schwartz's songs happened, it, they, they sound like Stephen Schwartz, some, typical musical theater songbook songs. Yeah. And then when it's a James Taylor song, I'm just like, this doesn't seem like it fits. It's. Yeah, so. It's really difficult to make different styles fit a whole score as like a cohesive unit. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. in some ways. It, like if you're if you're I don't want to say like if you're good enough, but like sometimes you have to be both good enough and like lucky enough to find everything to fit. So you have something like a Carolina change or a great comet where it's a bunch of different genres, but they just blend together in a way that that works. But sometimes you get like a mean girls where like every other song is a total 180 from the genre before it, and you kind of get whiplash. I'm like, this doesn't sound like one score. This sounds like a bunch of pastiche songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think working is a little more successful at that than Mean Girls, but I hear you. It is not the most cohesive, especially now that it's been updated with more songs by Lynn Manuel Miranda, which really sound like they are 30 years later. Now, granted, I'm only judging by the audio. Sure. I feel like if I were to see it, I won't be as jarring for me because, mm-hmm. you know, because I have a feeling this is kind of like as uh, to compare it to another show. This is like your good man, Charlie Brown, where it's like some book scene, some songs back to back and they do something. Yeah. And also, I think it helps that the genres in working, I feel like they fit the characters that are singing them. You know, like I wouldn't want this style of need to be a newsboy going with cleaning women, this very different types of people and walks of life. Uh, But I do hear you. And especially you are right. The Schwartz stuff you hear and you're like, that's Schwartz. Uh, Yeah. You you borrowed this from Pippin. I don't know if he borrowed it, but he is definitely. Okay. So actually let me, and that was a perfect time to talk a little about the history of working because this was Stephen Schwartz's baby working. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So 
Studs Terkel's book came out in, I think, 1972. Yes. And Schwartz had read excerpts from it in a book of the month club that he was in. Uh, or I, I think this was like a national book of the month club. So there were excerpts from the book coming out before the book was being released. And again, these are verbatim interviews Turkle did. Like Turkle did not write really any of this. I think he wrote sort of, you know, a, a forward and a conclusion, but the rest of it is just, you know, Laramie Project writing down people's words as they were. And the whole purpose of it was it was, you know, all these different kinds of walks of life in America talking about what they did for a living. And it's, you know, blue collar to white collar, you know, the highest executives and fashion editors and whatnot to prostitutes, call girls, uh, housewives, truckers, servers, uh, servers, um, yeah, talks to an 11 year old newsboy, things like that. And Schwartz. When the, when the newsboy started singing, <laughs> I was just like, there's a child in the show. There was once. I'm yes. pretty sure they. I'm pretty sure they've cut it since. Uh, I, it looks like they did. Yeah, for multiple reasons. One, the song is kind of ridiculous, and two, who wants to pay to have a child in your show when they cannot double as anything else in the right. show? Everyone else can double as something. That newsboy, what the fuck's he gonna double as? Unless you use him in the housewife. No, wait, was there the housewife number in the original one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But he's, but, but yeah, it, it's all women and housewives. So unless they have him coming on to do the mommy at the end, which is haunting when it's sung by the women, but have a little boy in there singing it. I'd be like, get the fuck off stage, Kurt. <laughs> but that's, it's a shame that I don't post the quotes from this podcast on my Instagram. It's like little, previews of the episodes to come but <laughs> that's so sh- one you have to you yeah have get to. off the stage kurt get off the uh, stage kurt yes but that and um this isn't about you claudia are like going to be the two <laughs> phrases in my life that no one knows what they mean but they mean something to me and the friends who were there when i came up with them anyway uh so schwartz reads the excerpts and he's like this is a musical and it's 1972 he's hot off of pippin and godspell which are huge hits and he's about to do the magic show, which is another hit that no one ever remembers because no one cared about it really, except for the fact that Doug Henning did magic on stage. Uh, the magic show is a show that doesn't exist. It ran for almost five years and no one remembers it because it wasn't really a show. But Schwartz is like, this is a musical. Everyone says you're crazy. He goes to Studs Turkle. Turkle's like, I mean, you seem enthusiastic, I guess. And then the book comes out. Schwartz is even like more convinced it could be a musical. He earmarks all the chapters where he's like that's a song that's a song that's a song he ends up out of the first go through of the book he earmarks 80 chapters uh he's like i gotta narrow this down a bit and he gets the rights from turkle uh and in between when schwartz gets the rights from turkle and they start writing the show two things happen one a chorus line comes out in the winter in January or February of 1975 before transferring to Broadway in the summer of 75. And all of a sudden musicals about people looking for a job. Everyone's like, ah, look at this huge hit. We could totally do a musical about people and their jobs, which is, you know, a gross uh, simplification of what a chorus line is. But sure, there are people with j- wanting jabs. And... <laughs> That is the gross simplification of it. Yes, you were correct. Yes, they are people wanting jabs. Wanting jabs. And they want, they want their jabs. And then the other thing that happens is Stephen Schwartz does The Baker's Wife. Are you familiar with The Baker's Wife, Jen? No, I've never heard of that one. You never even heard of it? I'll bet you I'm... heard of the big song from it, Meadowlark. What? <laughs> Meadowlark? 
No, I even even heard of that. I mean, I've probably heard the song. I just don't know it by title. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to. You don't have to sing it. Just no. Keep going I'm with going Baker's to. Wife. I'm going to. I'm going to give it to you with my Alice Ripley impression because Alice Ripley did the Baker's Wife at Paper Mill Playhouse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Play with me, my meadowlark. Fly with me on the silver morning. Pace the sea where the dolphins bark. You know it? <laughs> no. Okay. It's a metal. But you work. did a great job singing it. Thank you. You should be an actor. I was once. Truly, my best Alice Ripley impression is her next to normal. Where she goes, didn't I see this movie? Didn't I cry? Didn't I cry? Because I can't do Alice Ripley in her prime. I can't do sideshow Alice Ripley because that's just untouchable vocals. I, I can do Alice can. Ripley when she becomes a drag queen. But <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Baker's Wife was a musical that Schwartz worked on that was based off of a French film. And I think Joseph Stein wrote the book and he did Fiddler and David Merrick was going to produce it and Topple was going to star in it. And Patty Lapone, a young Patty Lapone, played the baker's wife. And it was the show from hell. They kept just staying out of town because they couldn't make the show work. It just kept on not working. And Patty says every city they got to, they would work on the show more and it would get worse. She's like, I joined and we were just kind of bad. Then we get to the Kennedy Center in DC and we're fucking awful. And we we don't even make it to Broadway. We're like the week we were supposed to start previews on Broadway, they shut it down and like, this doesn't work. Shut her down. But they did make a, a cast album for it or a highlights cast album, I should say. And Patty got to do it. The big song from Baker's Wife is Meadowlark, which is Patty's song. And she sang it in her cabaret act for a very long time at Lamouche when she was doing Evita. And it took on a life of its own. Uh, Meadowlark and Where is the Warmth became like big audition staples in the 80s to the point that Trevor Nunn, when he was doing Les Mis, he's like, all these women are singing these two songs I've never heard of. What is this Baker's Wife? Maybe I shall look into it. Maybe I do it. Maybe I rewrite the book or something and I make it better. Then he didn't make it any better. But now people do The Baker's Wife. But The Baker's Wife was the first show that kind of humbled Stephen Schwartz because when you are 23 and you have Godspell and it, you know, takes over and then you're 24 and you have Pippin and then you're 26 and you have The Magic Show and you've got these three shows that are running forever making you Boku's amount of money. But on top of that, uh, you know, you're now working with giants who are dwarfing your input like Bob Fosse. You get too big for your britches. You get a big head and you're like, I know what's best. I'm a, uh, what's going for? Um, a wunderkind. I'm a musical theater wunderkind. I'm the future of Broadway. Do as I say. And then he does Baker's Wife and it bombs. And he's like, okay, maybe I don't know everything. So he's humbled a bit more. And he's like, I want, I still want to do working, but I don't think I should do the whole score. I think if in order to properly get different perspectives, we can incorporate other songwriters. But what I will do is I will sort of oversee all the songwriting and make sure that everyone is listening to what everyone else is doing. So we're all in connection and, you know, and aren't writing songs that are super wildly contrasting. The irony of that is one of the major issues people had when the show came out, they're they're like, you can absolutely tell who wrote each song. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And then even later when uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda has his hand in it, I was just Mm -hmm. like, this is like no all shade, but like all love at the same time. Like this is the... Lin-Manuel Miranda musical uh, moment that is in every project that he's been part of. All the Lin songs that are added to working sound like they were cut from In the Heights. 
they because they don't sound like Hamilton songs. They sound like in the Heights songs. Uh, Delivery had moments of like this is the precursor to what was going to happen with Hamilton. Sure. I just got very Usnavi vibes from it. They're like one dollar, two dollar, three dollar. You want a box of condoms? Like that's what I was getting from delivery. And then there's like another one where it sounded like in the heights, I get my coffee and I go. <laughs> so he, in your research about uh Schwartz's uh time like uh-huh. starting working on this, had did he work on this and Baker's wife at the same time? So Baker's wife was in 76, I believe. Uh, and yeah, it was in 76. And so he was working on it around the same time, but there was no immediacy with working. So working didn't really kind of get into high gear until the winter of 77. And what happened was, was while he was doing Baker's wife, he was, uh, starting to do, he was working on it with these other writers and they start doing workshops of working, I believe in early 77, they do two different New York workshops, both of which Patty LaPone was in, and then they did a production of it at the Goodman in Chicago in, I think like November, December of 77. And it went pretty well. I'm, I'm, I'm looking here uh, on the Wikipedia page of the cast list uh, on the Broadway one. And it's funny cause two of, uh, uh, at least two of the people that they list were in the Godspell movie, which I know cause I covered it on my podcast. Life's but a song available anywhere you're listening to this one. Uh, <laughs> Who's the- in the Godspell movie that was in working? Robin Lamont and Lynn Thigpen. Lynn Thigpen was in the Godsoul movie. Is, does she do Oh Bless the Lord My Soul? Yes. Oh. Well, and so fun fact about Godspell, the people in the movie were doing productions all over America and in Canada. Well, so, yeah, Victor Garber did it in Canada, right? In, Tor- in Toronto with Gilda Radner and Eugene Levy, yes. Yeah, and Martin Short. That was the very, very famous uh, yes. Godspell. And Paul Schaefer, I think, was the music director or something. Something like that, yeah. And Lynn Thigpen, I believe, was in like a California production of it. And Robin Lamont was in it from the Carnegie Mellon days. Carne- didn't didn't Andrea Martin also do the one in Canada and yes, Toronto? She did. Yeah, like that was a super, that super... Was like, that's like an all-star cast that when my guest told me that, I was just like, I need to travel in time. We go see it now. Yeah, no, that's like a super infamous production. Everyone's like, is there any footage? Of Audio, movie? video, something. Anything, give me something. something. There, are some, there are some photos. We have photos, that's it. So um, it, looks, it looks like, uh, well, I, I guess with those three women, they were like the Steven Schwartz crew, if you will. Sure. Where they've worked on other projects and potentially everyone else who is in this original cast um, may have worked with uh, Schwartzy and other projects. Yeah. To Schwartz's credit, everyone who had done the workshops, I believe, did do it on Broadway. The thing is that the cast expanded for Broadway. So they go to the Goodman and it's, you know, the Goodman's on a huge theater. I think it's like 600 seats, something like that. You can make your show as big or small as you want. And it was relatively on the simpler side and uh while they're the goodman you know the reviews are encouraging and mostly and schwartz is also writing the book for this and directing the fucker uh it's his first time directing and because it's (laughs) because he's such a control freak i know first of all rule number one do not ever direct your own work unless you're howard ashman and even then sometimes it doesn't work out Did you know they made a musical about Spider-Man? Okay, maybe you did, but do you know the drama that went on behind making the musical? 
And like, even if you think you do, do you really know all the drama? Because unless you read Glenn Berger's book, Song of Spider-Man, I guarantee you that you don't. As the show's original book writer, Berger had a shot at fame and Broadway credibility working with the likes of Julie Taymor and Bono, only to be met with stress and heartbreak as the show's ballooning budget and constant injuries turned his Broadway dream into a Broadway nightmare. But if your immediate thought is, Matt, why would I read a book? Well, then you're in luck because the Orlando Fringe Festival's Digifringe is presenting a dramatic interpretation and staging of Berger's saga entitled The Spider Queen. Following a sold-out run and winning awards for Patron's Pick and Best Ensemble, The Spider Queen gives you all the same juicy drama of Berger's book, but with inventive staging, irreverent humor, and a sensible running time of just one hour. And you don't have to go to Florida to watch it. The beauty of Digifranch is that you can stream any of the festival's entries immediately on your computer. Tickets are just $10, with a portion of that going to the Orlando Artist Guild Scholarship Fund, which offers financial aid to students looking to pursue the performing arts. You can go to virtuallyfringe.com to purchase your ticket, find out more information on The Spider Queen and how to stream it there, and learn more about the festival itself. The Spider Queen is only available until June 17th, so check it out now, because as the show says, a theatrical genius, a rock star, a web-slinging hero, and $75 million. What could go wrong? I feel like you have to direct other works before you can start directing your own. Yeah. No, you have to absolutely direct other stuff before you start directing the stuff you've written. And, and I'm not sure if if Schwartz had other directing credits under his belt before this. Not. It was his, definitely his directorial debut on Broadway. Uh, he might have directed Godspell and the Carnegie Mellon days and, and whatnot, but he didn't direct it off he Broadway. He wasn't part of it until it went off Broadway. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So okay. the original music was by another person, mm-hmm. and then uh, producers who saw it at Carnegie Mellon was just like, "We need you to do this like professional." And so then, then they brought on. Um, Interesting. Schwartz. So there's there's an interview with him in the Times, like the week before working opens on Broadway, and he talks about how Godspell was like 100% his vision, or at least like he had total control over the show when it got to off Broadway. So yeah, good to know that the ego was still in check no matter what he was saying in 78. He's like, I've mellowed. And everyone who ever worked on Godspell read that article and they're like, no, you're still a douche. Uh, <laughs> so they go, so anyway, point is, they're at the Goodman, right? They And the reviews are encouraging and Schwartz cuts down like 20, 30 minutes of the show. Uh, the big thing he does is he cuts out, there originally was a Midwestern family that acted as sort of a narrative device for the show. So there was some kind of structure and narrative thread to everything. Um, sort of like them going across the country and like meeting everyone with their jobs. And basically he's like, that's stupid. Cut that. And what he did was the way that he connected everything in the show. And I think it's still this way is like each job that we then meet has to be connected to the previous job in some way. So for example, we meet a steel worker and who, you know, helps make automobiles. And then the next person we meet is someone who parks cars in a garage and, and, things like that or there's like a word that connects them well did you did you look up the book as well the studs turkle book yes i did not so and it's the way that it's written is that there are different sections that are deal with the same type of job so like that i knew so like in book one it's delivery boys a farmer farm worker farm woman uh, a deep miner and his wife strip miner so like they were um 
that's the that's how I guess he got inspired to have the, um, a somewhat connective tissue with all these. Yeah. It, yeah. I think that makes sense. They tried to put in something more theatrical and dramatically compelling. And they're like, no, just let's go simpler. And they get Greenland to go to Broadway with like a one point five million dollar budget, which was pretty steep that's in pretty 1978. Pretty high, yeah. Yeah, three years later, Dreamgirls had a $3 million budget and Dreamgirls had those moving towers and every costume known to man and like a 30-person cast and a 30-piece orchestra. So you ask yourself, three years prior, half that budget to a show that's just about people with jobs. Like, what's going on here? I mean, uh, I mean, uh, uh, orchestra members aren't cheap. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely true, but... You know, even if we're talking like an 18 piece orchestra, a 20 piece orchestra, that's right. still not quite a one point five million dollar. You're, you're just like, where did the rest of the money go? <laughs> well, I, I can tell you a little bit about where it went. So they were due to have an out of town tryout at the Colonial Theater in Boston. And that, I think, ended up getting scrapped and they opened cold on Broadway and they did like a preview process on Broadway. One of the first Broadway shows to really do that, or at least uh, one of the first highly publicized shows to do that. And all my research tells me that they had a very rough preview process and that it was very well publicized. Like it was always in the papers, the problems that were going on in the show. And I'm like, I can't find any of the articles. If I, if Steve Suskin, if you can find me the articles describing the troubles backstage at working, I would love to read them. You know, uh, we can also just like track down Patty and be like, listen, tell us, tell me something. <laughs> all Patty remembers of working is that she was the one person who didn't have a song. And so she's probably still bitter about it. Well, I mean, at the time of this, she wasn't the Patty Lapone as we know her today. Sure. It was a year and a half before she did Evita, but she had done Baker's Wife at this point, And Schwartz knew that she could sing. So it's like, Schwartz, give your Baker's Wife a break. She, she suffered through that show just as much as you did. Give her a song. Give her just just just, just something. Just give her a little yeah. something, something. Yeah. You can if you listen to the original cast recording, you can hear a snippet of Patty and it's dialogue. It's in all the live long day when they're all like, I work for a luggage factory. I'm a waitress. Blah, blah. And then you hear whatever you want, $100 an hour. Just ask. That's Patty Lapone. She's the call girl. <laughs> she does the call girl monologue. So in, um, in the show, do you, does the tracking make sense of like, who's playing what characters do, is there a theme with them or is it just, you sing this because you're this voice part. <laughs> I think it's that. And also just variety of spite of life, you know, like give someone something else to do, like not have one person play blue collar the entire time, not have someone play, you know, a uh, hooker the entire time. So like Patty, I know played the call girl. And then she played, I think a f either a fashion editor or a newspaper editor or something like that. So like got to play, both sides of the coin. I would kill for a recording of Patty Lapone doing the call girl monologue. There is a recording of it somewhere. There is because there is a <laughs> YouTube channel solely dedicated to Patty Lapone and has a lot of audio of her and has audio and video of her in Avita that I had never heard before, but it's pitched high, I guess, like to keep it from getting taken down. So like you hear a new Argentina and it's a full step higher because they pitched it higher. So it's like, ah, no. anyway, they have, <laughs> they have about 45 seconds of her call girl monologue on there. 
because you sent me the Barbara Hershey one and yeah. I was just like, I need to memorize this. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good monologue. I remember seeing it at stage door being like, that's a good, like, this is a good speech. Uh, it's well, yeah. it's, I mean, and obviously, you know, it's from the book, but Schwartz, you know, refined stuff and, and added probably extra beats here and there. I always thought it was a good speech and Barbara Hershey does it well. Yeah. I was listening. I mean, also the music is pretty banger in some cases like like the, a bop cleaning oh my god we could talk about that for years and still oh, like and we going. shall and we shall my dear boy but like you know the james taylor ones yes they sound completely non like tr- i don't want to say traditional broadway but i do at the same time uh, like mm-hmm. broadway of the time how's that it sounded yeah. it sounded more like pop music of the 70s and um, but like it's still amazing. I'm pretty sure people do mill work to this day as a, oh yeah, as like an audition song. Uh, so Millwork, the Mason, Fathers and Sons are probably the three most done songs in like cabarets and one person shows and whatnot. And then after that, probably it's an art and cleaning women. Uh, what about, and maybe what maybe about housewife. Joe? Joe is well. Joe is a hard one because it's very much an acting song. You have to be of a certain age. Uh, I don't know many like seventy-five-year-old men who da- who have like cabaret acts. If they do, I, it's also like a fucking bummer of a song. I mean, I was as, as his housewife. But... It is, but like, I mean, it is an acting song. Like you said, I could see it being probably for like an audition song for people of a certain age. I would love to use it as a. Uh as an acting piece, like, like in a, in a class or something, you know, have them work on it. And in the same way that I would have, when I was in school, we had uh, girls do housewife a lot as a, a acting practice song. That's not a correct term, but you know what I mean? They yeah. would come in and they would work on it. Um, yeah. 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 You, yeah. Would, you would grow and figure out what the meeting is and like, yeah, well, because Housewife has a lot of repetition to it, which is intentional because that's sort of the whole theme of the song is that her her days are very similar to each other. And it 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 all kind of is a tempered melody, which is sort of both uh, capturing her frustration, her complacency, and then also the monotony that a lot of people would assume a housewife's life would be. All I am is someone's mother. Right away, I'm not too bright. What I do is unfulfilling. So the TV talk shows tell me every night. I don't mean to complain at all, but they make you feel like you're two feet tall when you're just a wife, just a housewife. Nowadays, all the magazines make a bunch of beans out of uh, it's a good song, Craig Carnelia. So, fun fact, working comes to Broadway at the 46th Street Theater, now known as the Richard Rogers Theater, speaking of Hamilton, ah. with a pretty stellar cast. It does have a young Patti Lapone, Bob Gunton, who would go on to be uh, Juan Perón in Evita with Patti a year and a half later. And some of you might recognize him from Shawshank Redemption. L- Lenora Nemitz, who, after, who had just finished understudying Cheetah 
and Gwen in Chicago at the 46th Street Theater. She's in this doing It's an Art. Jesus Lynn, Christ. I know Lynn Thickpin, who, as we mentioned, is in the Godzilla movie. She also won a Tony Award about 20 years after this for An American Daughter. Uh, we have- a lot, jo- And a, a lot of uh, our people of our generation will know her as the chief from Where, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Mantegna, I think is how you say his name, who went on to do Glenn, uh, Speed the Plow on Broadway and then was- has done a lot of film and TV. He's the lead of Criminal Minds. Matt McGrath, who I've seen in a whole bunch of stuff. He's the newsboy in the original Broadway production, like the little 11-year-old newsboy. I saw him replace Alan Cumming in Cabaret in the late 90s with Brooke Shields. He also, I also saw him do The Lady in Question with Charles Bush at Bay Street Theater. He's just such a fucking talented motherfucker. Anyway, so when I saw that he was a newsboy, I was like, how dare you be working since you were 11, you talented asshole? Rude. What a, I know. What a bitch. What a dickhole. Butch hands around the paper, throws the paper in the bushes, watch Bush go. Boing, you watch Bush go. Boing, you watch Bush go. So when you hit They go through a whole preview process. They open uh, on, I believe, oh, the other thing is when the, the announcement I read in the Times that working was coming to Broadway, uh, Gra- I think it said Graciela Danielle was going to choreograph. Yeah, she was announced to choreograph. And then I look on IBDB and Anna White is the one who choreographed it. And I went, what happened there? Especially since Graciela apparently contributed some lyrics to the show as well. I know, crazy times, crazy times. Anna White, for those of you who don't know, is a multi-Tony nominated choreographer. She did the original Music Man. One of her best works is the movie version of Oliver. All you have to do is watch her choreography uh, for Oompa Posse, how it builds and go, yes, that is a genius there. So what kind of choreography are they doing in the show? Is there, is, is, I mean, I know you can do choreography to anything really, but is it a lot of, is it a lot of like, um, the only thing I can think of is like, you know, the choreography in Spring Awakening where it's just the movements and everything. Yeah. Is it the movie movements? Well, Spring Awakening, Spring Awakening did win choreography. So, uh, Maybe I mean, I wasn't there in 1978, but I do like how you said, I mean, anything can have choreography. So like, yeah. I don't, just, I mean, imagine um, Byrne from Hamilton and there's like a whole chorus of people doing ballet behind her. It would be, I feel like it would kind of be that. We'll get into that as, as I talk about sort of the reviews and what they mentioned, because what it sounds like is that the show was over choreographed and that they were overcompensating for the fact that they were now on Broadway and had to give people a bang for their buck. So a lot of stuff was happening on stage that didn't need to happen. That was cluttering up the proceeding. Uh, I feel like I hear that a lot though, about some shows. We're going to hear that. That's going to be a recurring theme on this series. So before this episode, the recurring theme was the cast album brought new attention to the show, which will happen again uh, after this episode that it didn't really happen with working but it happens with the other later episodes here something that working failed with that a lot of shows will fail with later on is trying to do too much and make audiences feel like they were seeing a broadway show and working is a very simple show and what made it work best in the workshops and the goodman was when they simplified but they come to broadway and they have this set that apparently had all these clocks everywhere and platforms that moved around and they had the the word working laid out in giant letters that would move all over the stage and people would stand on the oh oh and sit on the w like yeah oh Oh, yeah so um 
I hate to keep bringing up all these things that you sent me, but like, I think you said you can't really find like a full production of it, uh, uh, like a full um, recorded production of working. That's of the yeah, a professional recording. Yeah, everything yeah. else is like schools and community theaters. So you sent me actually the mill worker performed by Jewel Carney at the Alliance Theater mm-hmm. concert staging of working, and I feel like that is how it should be done where you're all of your cast is standing in front of a microphone doing minimal choreography you know the 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 spring awakening movements if you will and Mm -hmm. then um you add like an apron and you're one character you put on a hat and you're another character you put on a jacket like i feel like you just need to do bare minimum with this show um yeah i don't think i don't think it needs all the bells and whistles that you just mentioned. Oh, it absolutely doesn't. I think the problem is, I mean, working has no motor behind it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just monologue and song after monologue and song. And what's eventually happened. So, so after the show opened and then closed after three weeks, they run for 24 performances. Uh, fun fact, they closed on the night of the Tonys that year where it was nominated for a couple of tony awards not best musical though it was nominated for score uh it was nominated for book so score it was nominated alongside on the 20th century the act and runaways 20th century won best score it was also nominated for book along 20th century which also won runaways and history of the american film which is something i've never heard of but was written by christopher durang uh the big hit that year was ain't misbehaving that was the the best musical winner they were also nominated for set design lighting design and two featured actor in a musical uh uh, award slots yeah and then they were nominated for a couple of drama desks as well musical uh direction for schwartz who actually he won the drama desk for best direction so that's crazy and then a couple of featured actors were nominated as well none of whom were the ones that were nominated for the tony so that's interesting to me you're right i'm looking at it now Bobo Lewis oh. and Lenora Nemetz were nominated for featured actress, Matt Landers and Brad Sullivan for featured actor. And Bobo uh, Lewis won. Bobo Lewis won. She plays the teacher and I think the mill worker uh, 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 <laughs> in that original production. And then featured uh, actor at the Tonys, it was Rex Everett. And uh, I don't remember who the other one was. Um, I might not have written it down. Stephen Bookover? Book Bookover? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Steven. Steven. A good old Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So they closed the night of the Tonys because they're like, we know we're not winning. We know that scores going and book are going to on the 20th century. We weren't nominated for best musical. We're done. We're done for now. So it was a very humbling experience, uh, even more so than Baker's wife, because it was much more public and in the theatrical community know how, how much it had failed. And unlike Baker's wife or score or Schwartz had just written the score again, this time he also wrote the book. He directed. It was his idea. Like it was all on his shoulders. So this was not, uh, you know, a very. This was not an endeavor where he could hold his head up high at the end. The couple things happen with working after it closes. One is they do a trimmed down ninety minute version for American Playhouse in nineteen eighty two. American Playhouse was a PBS program it's what gave us the recordings of sweeney todd sunday in the park with george and into the woods i'm pretty Uh, sure that we could find if we did a little 
deep dive on the oh, interwebs. Yeah. We could find you could absolutely find the whole thing. You might even be able to buy it on DVD. There are clips of it on YouTube. There's Barbara Hershey doing the Call Girl monologue, which you mentioned. There's Rita Moreno doing It's an Art. There's Mill Work. There is Patti LaBelle doing Cleaning Women, where she absolutely annihilates it. And see, the, um, I feel like in that sort of venue... Mm-hmm. being filmed for television that's when you can be a little grander because you don't have to deal with a live audience mm-hmm. you um you're filming something so you're telling us what to pay attention to so like if you wanted the chorus boys to do like high kicks and flips in the background while you know somebody is is singing millwork or whatever yeah do it like that's the time to go to have like the giant working sign and people standing on the w while it revolves around or sure it's fire yeah well they it's a very literal filming because they do it on sound stages they don't do it theatrically they do it rather realistically speaking and i think that's a mistake and it's a shame because they actually have a really strong cast they also have eileen brennan they have uh what's her face from the original company the original getting married today but people, oh shit yeah. really i, I want to say um barbara barry but i know that's not correct but it's a, i mean it's a really great company a lot of famous people as well and again patty labelle sings the absolute living daylights out of cleaning women barbara hershey does a wonderful job with the call girl monologue schwartz directed it and called it the lowest point of his career and i'm like girl that is isn't even close to the lowest point of your career because then he does rags which, where oh. she, he just writes the lyrics for. And if you read the New York Times review for it, Frank Rich, which also closed after four performances, Frank Rich is like, here's the tea. Charles Strauss has written some pretty stellar music. Joseph Stein's book, it's a mess, but like I see what he's trying to do. And I think there's a lot of merit to that, even though he doesn't succeed really at all. He's like, Stephen Schwartz, written some fucking dumb lyrics here. And <laughs> I'm like, girl, when you have, when you are, one of three people that wrote a four performance flop and Frank Rich specifically calls that your contribution is the worst. That's the lowest point of your career. Something's wrong here. Yeah. 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 And then he does children of Eden in London, which also bombs. And then they sort of repurpose that. And it does a lot better after the fact. Are you familiar with children of Eden in any way? Um, they did it at Stage Door while I was there. They love to do children of Eden at Stage Door. Well, because that's another one where you could throw a thousand kids in it and yeah. Everyone gets a moment. Except they always make a girl god, which I don't mind, but it's the it, you fuck up the keys because it's meant for a man. It's father. They all come father. And sure, call it mother if you want. But I'm just like, it's really difficult to get a woman to sing a baritone, a baritone tenor key. You well, know? so while I was listening to this, I was thinking of, you know, I don't know if it's out, it'll be out by the time this episode is out, but you've heard of the the 1776 that they're doing at ART with all... All women, yeah. Non-cis men, basically. Yes, it's non-cis men, yes. And then it's coming to Broadway at the American Airlines in the spring, I believe. Uh, so Something like that, yes. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, how interesting would it have been if working, if somebody did a production of working where it's all non-cis men? I mean, none of these really are gendered songs, I know, I know what the song is called "Cleaning Women," but like, it could be a man. Sure. The, when I you think, listen, when you listen to what the story is actually being said, I think when you look at the material, you ask yourself, you know, how gendered is this? 
if I were to alter a couple of pronouns, would it change anything? And if it doesn't, this is what we've gotten from the company revival, which is, you know, make these experiments, try some things, shake some things up. Yeah. Uh, I'm not married to any gender for any role in working. I don't think doing an all female, all male, all non-cisgender would really matter because I don't think there's enough here to really True. matter. If that, if True. That but I, but I, it was just like, this could work if you, I feel like you could, or try to work. Mm if you fuck with the concept a little bit. Well, which is what they started to do, not so much with the concept, but with just with the order and the and the grandeur of it all. So again, it was a lot bigger on Broadway. It was a two act structure. Act one was very ballad heavy. And throughout the eighties, they start reworking, reworking, working. And by the nineties, they start doing new regional productions of it that are tighter, that are no longer two acts, it's now an hour and oh. 45 mm-hmm. and the song order has been mixed around a bit. And then around 2000, I think they did a production at long wharf with Christopher Ashley directing that went over really well, which allowed Stephen Schwartz to uh, have some faith in it again. And then Stephen Schwartz does wicked, which makes him super famous, famous and wealthy again. again. Yeah. And after having some success with Disney. Yeah. With Pocahontas and hunchback, but Around 2009 or 10, they start workshopping a new version of working directed by Gordon Greenberg. They bring Lynn in to write some more songs. They fuck around with the order again. They cut some old stuff. They add some monologues for new stuff. Basically, what they do is they want to make the show more modern because a lot of the jobs in 1978 aren't jobs anymore. So it becomes a big old period piece. Like We want to make it current. So they do it at um, the Old Globe and a solo rep. They also then do it at the Broadway Playhouse at Water Tower Place in Chicago. And I remember when this happened because it was around 2010. And there was talk that like, if this production works, they're going to Broadway. They have the interest. They have the financing. Schwartz is going to put the money in. They've got Lynn attached and like In the Heights is still relevant. So, you know, if this works, oh, it's going to Broadway. And then they do it at Chicago and all the critics are like, it still doesn't really work. Uh, like it's better, it's shorter, but it's not great. The, the music is modern. I'm off on a delivery, and I'm finally on my own. Off on a delivery, delivery peace, and I'm heading to Pachano. Off on a delivery, delivery. Fresh air and exercise, and sometimes I throw in some extra fries. For calling it in today, my wealth is great until they send me away on a delivery. I think he wrote two more before the final version. They got cut along the way because it finally comes back to New York at 59 East 59, where I saw it. Uh, it had Donald and Champlin in it. Uh, Jay Armstrong Johnson. Uh, oh Kenita R. Miller was in it. Yeah, it was a it was a good cast. And it was in a small theater. It was in a black box theater. They still kind of overstaged it and overdesigned it, but it was more intimate and it was streamlined and it was fine but after you know the first 20 minutes you go oh right it's just this till the curtain comes down or you know the lights go down uh the last time it's done in new york is at encores in the summer of 2019 where helen hunt is in it randomly and ben ah. Bra- and ben Brandt and they added even more stuff they added like an, a city center usher and ben brantley's like listen i'm i'm not going to tell you that this is like garbage i said the stuff they've added i find rather compelling he's like but you know I get bored when the score happens. And I, I, after the first 20 minutes, I don't care anymore. And I'm like, yeah, that is, that has been the complaint about this show since it began. 
You know what the show is missing? What? Them fighting a dragon through song. See, Don, I actually have a legitimate question about what's missing at the end of this episode, and you just answered it. So I, I'm sorry. We're, I'm sorry. Garbage. I, ha- garbage I had I had a tie-in. You know, my podcast, Life's But a Song, available anywhere you're listening to this one. Yeah, and you need to listen to us talk about the magic dragon coming from the water, fighting Anna and Louis. <laughs> but Louis. I mean, I mean, all joking aside, though, like. I listened, so literally right before we started recording, I I listened to both uh, albums. And yes, the first one seemed very set in the 70s, even musically. I think, I think both have their own strengths and weaknesses musically. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, like, I like, I keep saying, I've never seen a production, so I can't really talk that much about the show. Like, like the monologues and like who did what better. Barbara Hershey delivering the prostitute monologue is amazing. Call, um, she's the call girl. She's the call girl. Escort. Sorry. She's an escort. She's an escort. But like, I did like how they updated all the live long day in the rev. Do I want? Do we want to call it a revival? Because it's not really a Broadway revival. No revisal. 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 Well, revisal because it. Yeah, because it is a, it is revised, but also we don't have to call it a revival because it never came back to Broadway. Yeah, and like they they made in the 2012 revisal, they made like all the songs not 70s style. Yeah. And I don't know if I like that or hate that. So the jury is not back yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I find that the score actually has more personality in the 70s recording. And I find the arrangements in the revisal, they try a little too hard, if that makes sense. To be like modern and cool, it feels very, how do you do fellow kids? And I'm just like, like, cleaning women still slaps. Yeah, well, so cleaning women, I they do a fine enough job with it. But I mean, I don't mind the original arrangements of it. I think I think that song slaps on its own. And you don't yes. need to overdo it. I mean, even again, the American Playhouse one with Patti LaBelle, it's really just her singing it. And because she's Patti LaBelle and she never met a melody that she didn't want to fuck with, she does all the things to it and it still slaps. I mean, she messes around with that melody quite a bit and it sounds awesome. Hold on, I'm looking up. So Mickey Grant wrote that mm-hmm. one? Yeah, so Mickey Grant, who's a Tony-nominated writer for... Uh, I think it's don't bother me i can't cope yep yep don't bother me i can't cope uh african-american female writer i think she might have been the first african-american female writer to be nominated for score and book at the tony awards oh interesting yeah i mean not spoken about enough and i think part of it is because don't bother me i can't cope is not a show that has aged well not in terms of its politics just in terms of you listen to it and you're like i'm not very excited by this you know it was very new when it happened and once the newness goes away, if it's not really strong on its own, it doesn't hold up. But her work in this show, because she does work, uh, she does Cleaning Women, she does uh, Love and Al, I believe, and she does If I Could Have Been. And I think If I Could Have Been and Cleaning Women are two of the best songs in the show. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, at least with I... If I could have been, it follows like the act one finale ness of other shows, mm-hmm. 
where it's like this is the bit this is like we're, we're going on a we're going on a break everyone mm-hmm. go to the so, bathroom go time to go to the bathroom Now I think it comes right before uh, something to point to. So it's sort of two back-to-back fake songs to sort of get you energized again before you leave, which yes. I don't mind. Uh, I I I think there's sort of a nice... Uh, I mean, I know I'm I'm sure that the way they close their acts on Broadway is the same idea if they were to be back to back now in the one act, which is, you know, you have the one song, which is like, uh, I could have been something. And then the next song, it's like, but I did do something. It may not be, you know, in the history books, but I did make something. But like this, the if you so listening to the lyrics of cleaning women, I was just blown away because like. Anyone could be saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, like any any blue collar worker that is part of this show or beyond what's in the show could be saying those words. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think I like it the most out of all the songs here, because it's so universal and it's so much like I'm paving the way. So like my kids don't have to do this so that they can do better than what I've been doing. I don't have kids. That's what the song is saying. <laughs> I have rough kids. Uh, no, I agree. I think what I like most about cleaning women is that. So one of the critiques that the show has also faced is that it romanticizes the blue collar worker and sort of others them and makes them sort of these whole, like incredibly wise mystical characters. Like they know something we don't know because they're tapped into like the realness of life in America. Oh. And that's something that we've, you know, we've been romanticizing for decades. And I think the idea should more be that, you know, uh, insight can come from anywhere. And just because someone has a particular kind of job doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're the kind of person that you would think they are. And I think some of working does sort of fall victim to that of mysticism, of uh, mysticizing. I'll say mysticizing uh, certain characters like that. What I like about cleaning women is that it is a very honest song the character is very aware of what she does, uh, what her lineage is. She doesn't romanticize it in the same way that the waitress does. And it's an art, which I want to get to that in a second. As someone who has been in the restaurant industry for many a year, that song is stupid. But, uh, and, it, and it's also a song that a lot of critics at the time were like, um, no. Uh, but I, it also, it's not a downbeat song. It's a very triumphant song. It is, it is a bop. It is up tempo. So many of these songs with people who are below a certain pay grade, like Millwork or The Mason, or um, I mean, I'm not gonna say just a housewife of, of a certain pay grade, but you know, these songs where it's like, oh, I actually, I don't know, life is simpler and more tragic than you realize. And I'm gonna sing to you about it in a very slow, somber way. And Cleaning Woman's like, eh, my life's not the best, but I'm gonna make it better for my daughter. Boom, boom, cleaning women. And it's just, <laughs> oh, I think it's so fucking good. Hey,
And it's one of those great examples where it is a woman of color, played by a woman of color, sung by a woman of color, written by a woman of color, and them with the life experience that they all have, you know, telling this story in a way that I think if it were possibly someone who wasn't a woman of color writing, it might try to make it more tragic in a way. And I think there is a certain kind of power to this. And the fact that like they went in this direction and made the song, the bop of the show is a great example of like, this is why we're, you know, always touting for more diversity and, and, and giving opportunities to many other people, because sometimes you get the bop of the show. So did you say that, like, would you say that Stephen Schwartz is like not only part composer or songwriter, but he's also like the music supervisor of this? I think music supervisor is a great term for him for this. Yeah, because it is his vision overall. Because like, I I wish, I wish I knew, I don't know if you know from what uh, you've looked up, but I wish I know like how he delineated the um, professions to the composers. Same. Cause like, you know, I did, did he think like, oh, this is a woman of color giving this interview about how she wants her children to not work as a cleaning person or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a blue collar job. They want a brighter future for them. And so I wonder if he thought, oh, this is a respected woman of color who is recently not Tony nominated. And believe mm-hmm. I read that she won the Obie for that show that we talked about. Um, and so I was like, well, did he give it to her on purpose or was it just like a happy accident? I don't know what the truth is. I'm sure now that's what he's touting. <laughs> right. he's, yes. so, he's like, so gonna... I was giving the opportunity to a brilliant woman. I'm amazing. Uh, I don't so, know. So we're going to hop into our time machine and we're going to yeah. go back in time to when he's giving out these it's possible, assignments. Yeah. And it, well, it's possible that, you know, he had, he reached out to all of them, told them which interviews he wanted to use. And then, you know, ask them to tell them which ones they were interested in or, and give it a try on one or two. Because, you know, of all of them, Craig Carnelia and Mickey are the ones who write the most songs for this show other than Stephen. Mary Rogers only writes one song with Susan Birkenhead. Uh, James Taylor, I think, only writes. He writes no a work. few songs. Does he? No. Well, he wrote so Brother Trucker. Brother Trucker, right, 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 right. Totally forgot about that um, one. Take that back, everybody. He, he, yeah, he wrote Millwork. Um, oh, and also in the original, and I don't think it's in the revival, the revisal, the Un Mejor Dia, dia Ventra. Which is something that Graciela Danielle contributed lyrics to. Yes, but James Taylor and Matt Landers are also credited as writing it. So interesting. There's um, I feel like there's one other song. Maybe uh, I'm looking at the song list now, Han. Um, um, Love and Al is Mickey Grant, which I think I already said. Yes. Uh, nobody tells me how is Rogers and Birkenhead. Uh, Housewife is Cornelia. Millwork is James Taylor. Nightskate. Uh, Stephen Schwartz and Michelle Browerman. Uh, it's an art. Stephen Schwartz, brother trucker. Husbands and wives. Husbands and Wives is Michelle Browerman, and then Fathers and Sons is Schwartz. Something to point to is Craig Carnelia. Craig Carnelia probably writes the most songs in this show. He's got Housewife. He's got he's got uh, the, he's got to. the Mason. He's got um, basically everything. Yeah. yeah, he's got a lot. Um, 
I wonder who said no. Because <laughs> you, you got, you have to think, at least one person that Stephen Schwartz went to said mm-hmm. no. But it's probably more like 10 or 20 people. Ellen John like, said no. <laughs> he's like, I'm busy. Yellow Brick Road, everyone. I'm busy. I'm Elton John. No, I, I do wonder who said no to this, if anyone did say no. Because it's such, you know, a small commitment on many, of their other, on many of their parts. You know, they write two or three songs and call it a day. But or or more that were then cut because sure. Sure, that's, sure, what, sure. that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So I mentioned it for a second. But so Schwartz has a couple of songs in this. I, I think his best song in it is All the Live Long Day, which is I the think opening about number. opening number. I also think it's a bop. Uh, it's a little slow for my taste uh, at OTC. We really pumped up the tempo on it, but it works so well, especially at the end when they're doing the, all the, all the live long day now. But he also has a couple of songs that I dislike. I think fathers and sons, first of all, has nothing to do about working. And also I think the lyrics mean nothing. Then uh, there's need to be a newsboy, which snip snip, get those children off my stage. And then the next they song, cut, they cut that song so fast. It looks yeah. like. Yeah, they're like, oh, what a mistake that was. We've watched the newspapers go, boing. It's so, and listen, Matthew McGrath, McGrath, he has gone on to a wonderful career. He is a talented individual. We, we called him an, a super talented fucker. Get that child off of my stage. <laughs> I don't want him there. Uh, Schwartz has another song called It's an Art. Now, It's an Art is a song sung by a waitress. And the best thing I can say about it is that Rena Moreno does it in the American Playhouse version on TV. When this song premiered on Broadway and Lenora Nemitz did it, all the critics were like, listen, she is talented. However, this This song song is garbage. They're like, the song is garbage and the way they have it done is garbage because it stops being about a woman working and becomes a musical theater number because they have her do like a dance break where she pretends to be Carmen and she's, she's, you know, being far too musical theatery for a show that's about like the working man. And I don't know how much of it is based off of the real words of a waitress or a server uh, in the book, but this is sort of, you know, a server out of a movie where she goes, you know, I don't care about tips. Tips are for barmen. You know, you get, she's like, I'm not going to let you play God. Like, tip me whatever you want. People say, you're just a waitress. Why? But you're so terrific. Why are you just a waitress? Don't you think you deserve to be served by me? And I think of fun things to say, like, what's new at the bar that I can interest you in? And I'm like, that's, that's, you know, like Agnes at the diner who gives a piece of life advice with her apple pie to the main character in the third act of a movie. I mean, I feel like it's also a product of its time because I'm not, I know what people, how people act in restaurants these days, but in Uh the seventies, it could have been, it could have been a little more polite. Um, The standard of living was not as high as it is now. So like the, minimum wage for servers was probably like the minimum wage for every, everywhere else. Sure. So. May, and maybe customers were nicer back in the seventies. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. They, they eventually get to a point with the customers always right mentality where people are just awful, especially at a restaurant. And I mean, you can make bank at the right kind of restaurant, but also right. you just, you also learn to hate humanity because you just see the worst kind of people. And that's all I'm going to say in defense of the song. <laughs> <laughs> mm. listen i hear you it'll also say like it's a bop i think the i think the melody is fun it's an art it's an art 
to be a fine waitress. Yeah. But every time it's the show is done and I read a review for it, a critic points out that song and is like, this is so out of left field and like so out of the milieu that this show is trying to do. And I think I, I admire that they're trying to have more up tempos in there. It can't all be dirges. It can't all be self-serious. There's got to be some yeah. fun to it. But it, there's something about that song that just really rubs me the wrong way. Rena Moreno is the only one who's ever done it and hasn't made me want to slip my wrists. But I think that, I think it's because Rena Moreno is a national treasure and she knows not to overdo it. It's but, true. But I think it's, it's if you are a ham, it is a very easy song to ham up. Donald and Champlin did it at 59 East 59. And Done. Well, That's well, then, all you need to say. I get yeah. it. I have it. I have the vision yeah. already. The Times literally had to say, like, listen, we have seen Donald and Champlin in many things. She is so fucking talented. But that she is not doing that song well. And that song is not good. It's like it's a bad song. She doesn't even do it well. Can I can I can I have a can I have a, a brag moment for a hot second? But of course, I, I actually got a chance to work with Donalyn Chaplin uh, on a on a nymph show called Pride and Prejudice the musical, where she played Jane Austen. She's Pride. she was fabulous. I sing one of the songs still to this day, and that was eleven years ago. <laughs> I never worked with her. But I did walk into a subway where she was eating a sandwich. And I said, I went to the same subway as Donald Chaplin. Um, but here we are. Yeah. You could cut that, by the way. I just. No, I, I love that. Wanna... I'm eating all of it. Okay, this whole great. episode is raw, baby. Ooh, just how I like. Wait. Let's <laughs> hmm. so see. We talked about cleaning women. We talked about it's an art. We talked a little bit about Live Long Day. Millwork. We talked about Millwork really all that much other than the fact that it's Wait. James Taylor. I mean, it slaps you in the face. Yeah. It's like, here's my dick slap. And you're just like, oh, I love it. Yeah, because it's a beautiful song. Are you gonna are you gonna post that um that that uh version that you sent me? I feel like you should, if you can. If if I can, if I can. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna intercut audio of a lot of the songs into the episode that's how i do i like to give my listeners a little taste of what we're talking about so but but like in the show notes i feel like you need to incorporate it because that staging was so beautiful and well Mm -hmm. done that i'm a little upset that i wasn't there to see it i feel in person you know it was so simple and again that's what the show needs you need simple you know Mm -hmm. Like everyone has a base look, you add on to it. You, um, you don't have to do all like bells and whistles. Maybe a little dance moment. Who yeah. knows? Simple and trust the material and and keep it moving. Think very much come from away. Like keep it going, keep it moving. You don't need to do anything extravagant with the costumes. Just keep it going. Because like the the drama version of this, the Laramie Project, basically, mm-hmm. that's what you do. You keep it simple you know these you have mm-hmm. these people playing multiple parts so you just give them one look and then you th- like i said throw on a jacket throw on a hat throw on uh uh an apron because that a lot of people a lot of jobs that they talk about have, wear aprons so just like do that and oh look now i'm a different character huzzah mm-hmm. huzzah huzzah ha fucking za there was also something else i was gonna say so happy that they cut Newsboy, though. Because at first when I was listening to it, I didn't realize it was a Newsboy number. I thought it was like a child labor number, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it kind of is. 
Well, but I mean, like, you know, working, making shoes or something. <laughs> I was like, are they going to, are we traveling back in time to, you know, when kids had to provide for the family? <laughs> is that what this song is going? No, to the do- early, 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 like 1900s. <laughs> Yeah, and then they do a whole song about the Triangle Factory, and it's a whole to do. <laughs> and it's uh, me and my machine for the rest of the um, Oh, I must have missed that not that song in any of the versions <laughs> that I have. <laughs> you know what I also don't really like very much is the Mason. It kind of bores me. That's all right. People love to sing it in cabarets and in, and in studio, and I just sit there and I, I get bored. I don't hate it. I just I get bored. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like when you talked about the fact that there was originally like a family meeting these people, I think that was an interesting idea. Mm. Cause at least you had a through line. Um, you know, it, it probably would have failed on Broadway, but worked on like the school circuit. Yeah. I, the school I, circuit. I it's like you know, the Orpheum like, circuit. Well, I mean, like, you know, high school's doing it. Sure, sure, sure. It'd be performed for schools by professional actors. Like, that would have maybe helped. But I don't I don't know how to save this, really. <laughs> but besides, No one does, really. Besides just doing the songs and, yeah. But that's the thing is, it. there's no way to really save it, but it keeps getting done and people keep thinking it can work especially now that we have the updated version which is just going to be dated in a few years anyway but yeah i mean you see it done all the time schools keep doing it regional theaters keep doing it so in a way it doesn't need fixing and yet like if they ever want it to be taken seriously ever again it does need fixing but i i don't i don't know necessarily what to do i have Maybe one idea, but it's not a real one. It's a, it's a jokey one, but we'll see. Okay. You know what? Here is here, any other songs you want to cover before we move on to the final section? Jen. Um, Cleaning Women is a bop. Everyone should cover it. The end. Yeah. The end. Cleaning Women is amazing. And I I cannot say stress it enough. Go on YouTube to watch Patti LaBelle do it. For, first, listen to it with Lynn Thickpin, who really sings the living crap out of it. Oh my and, God. Yes. Yeah. Then listen to Patti because... Then you, but once you know what the melody is supposed to be, and then you hear Patty like play racquetball with it. And then, you know, while we're here and you're comparing artists, you may as well listen to the revisal one. Sure, it's fine. I just don't like the main singer on that one. She's a little thin for my taste. I just really like when Patty goes, she does like her little whistle tone at the end. She goes, couldn't come too soon. Anyway, (laughs) and then uh, 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 she like does a, back and forth on one a melody line that's supposed to go all the way down and she keeps popping back up to a note as she keeps going down she's like oh i will go down the i will go down the scale but i'll keep reminding you that i can hit that note up there um because she's patty labelle and where are her backup singers so she doesn't need them she don't need them jen uh over (laughs) over under or estimated on this show do you think it's overestimated underestimated or properly estimated I want to, I think it's just properly estimated, you know, like, I don't, I don't think they're like, besides standout moments, but those are the performers doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like, like you said, Patti LaBelle and Lynn Thigpen and, um, you know, the Rita Moreno doing It's an Art. 
but like I think those performances are great when you have other people do it or like you know not uh, when you have somebody else do it I think it just it, it, it may or may it be hit or miss and so yeah I think it's just okay middle of the road you know yeah like like great like we said great show if you have like 30 kids at a theater camp or in your high school production of it throw them in this great but yeah i yeah yeah i feel yeah i definitely feel you on that uh the missing link what do you think is missing from this show that could possibly make it better you said the family i say what if paddington went through all of america interviewing all these working people and said tell me about your work would you like a marmalade sandwich my name is paddington and they said <gasps> and they said well paddington clean and well man without faces i didn't know i needed this until you said it and now i need it in my life <laughs> all shows would be better with paddington yes tell yes me, what does what is the work that a mason does well, well, talking bear. <laughs> Do you, I don't hear anything. Do you any hear anything? I hear America <laughs> singing. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. He'd make it so much better. <laughs> I mean, I mean. <laughs> Uh, it's such a detriment because like I don't know the show and I don't have the I didn't really look at this I didn't look at the script beforehand because like there are those there's that one monologue uh, of Barbara Hershey um, doing the call girl that you had me watch which was amazing so so like I don't know if it's like like you know how in the Laramie Project they they have the interviewers play themselves in some instances yeah, I think we need an interviewer. Maybe mm. that would like, like just a through line. Not the fact that not like setting things where it's like you you're a steel worker working on cars, and the next scene you're a parking valet. You know, like that is a little too cerebral. I think for a lot of people, including myself, mm. I don't. I don't think I would have connected those dots unless you know you held my hand and f- walked me through it. So like. I think, I think if you had just something or someone to be the connective tissue, mm-hmm. it would have been, besides the fact that they are the working class. Yeah. Um, finding some connective tissue. I'm not sure what it would be, but something, something. Yeah. 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 You just need that. I think that may help it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I just the thing is I just don't know what it would be. I don't know what it I don't other than Paddington, I have no ideas. I guess. Um, last question. Cast away. Who would you like to see in a production of working? Who would you like to punish? <laughs> um I think I would like to see Amber Riley perform cleaning women. Yes. Put that I don't up know. in my butt, please. I don't know what else that track is, mm. but like that song, I would like to see her do it. Um, that, that's the beauty of it, though, is that you can really make it any track you want. So I know that on Broadway, Cleaning Women also did If I Could Have Been, but didn't really do anything else. And then when they did it at 59 East 59, Kanita R. Miller did Cleaning Women and Millwork 
and just a housewife. So like make whatever oh. you want. Um, oh, we didn't talk about, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just bringing this up now. Nobody tells me how, where that song. I mean, after pandemic and all that and how people, how society treated teachers mm-hmm. and it's so atrocious how people treated them. Mm-hmm. That song hits differently now than I think it did then. I mean, it's still the same sentiment and everything, but like now with the added thing of like teaching over zoom, mm-hmm. that is, that, that is awful. And I, th- I think that song, um, I'd like to see any, I, I don't care who sings it. it it's um, it, maybe Amber Riley again, because I love her. Um, Make it work. I think we found a way to fix working. It's just a one woman Amber Riley show. There we go. Yes. Yes. Um, mill work. Ooh. Who would I want? I don't know who I'd want to do mill work. You know who I really want to hear sing mill work just because of her throaty, throaty also is Carmen Cusack. See, I I have Stephanie J. Block in my head and I don't and I don't think that's who I really want. No, it's not who I want. I who I'm listening to, I had a different name entirely. Don't ask me why. Who I'm hearing though is Shoshana Beam. Cause I feel I mean, like all three of them are alphabas, so it works. I feel like Shoshana Bean doing her typical whistle toneness would it would like <laughs> melt my face off. <laughs> I would actually I would be interested in seeing Shoshana Bean's It's an Art. I think she would do a fun job with that. Mm, mm-hmm. And she could maybe play around with the melody a bit more to make it more exciting. You know what? In the spirit of West Side Story 2021, Ariana DeBose doing It's an Art. Sure. And then also in the spirit, Rachel Zegler doing Just a Housewife. I like how we're only focusing on women (laughs) well we're gay men that's what we do but like the male songs in this like who cares yeah i really don't care how about i don't know uh brother trucker they're they're just not as memorable the the males besides joe and joe i don't know who would would want i would like to see chuck cooper do joe uh, Chuck Cooper, who won a Tony Award for The Life, he plays the dryer in the original Carolina Change. He's just nominated again for a Tony Award for Trouble in Mind. Brilliant actor, phenomenal vocalist, and he's of the right age now. I think he would do a good job. Oh, wait. he or may Austin be, Peddleton, even. He might be too young for it, but who's the lead in A Strange Loop? Him. Oh, Jaquel Spivy? I, maybe? To play Joe? The old dude? Well, just to hear him sing it. I don't say like, like in a concert somewhere. <laughs> no, there's nothing to sing. That's, that is like getting, uh, that is like getting 1968 Barbara Streisand <laughs> to sing, <laughs> I don't know, five, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, five, four, three, two, one. Like, well, really? Well, okay. So also, would you think Joe is like the male equivalent to ladies who lunch? No, not at all. Really? I kind of got those. I kind of got the that those vibes where it's like I'm getting older, you know, and and. But ladies who lunch is angrier, and it's an older that is more kind of sardonic, and a younger kind of older. Joe is a much more. It's a retired age. Yeah, it's a tragic. It's more tragic song, and more conversational. Uh, What they have in common is that you should do. You should absolutely absolutely be singing both songs sitting down 
That's how, <laughs> that's the one thing they have in common. You know, it'd be hilarious. What? And just for, and just for us girls, if Patty LePone sang Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Bring about, Patty back. <laughs> how about a cabaret where Patty LePone gets to sing all the songs in working that she didn't get to sing on Broadway? But with also Amber Riley. Yes, Amber Riley comes on to do Cleaning Women and she'll do the Call Girl monologue since Patty did that on Broadway. She doesn't need to do it again. No. And But Patty will do Millwork. She'll do uh, If I Could Have Been. She'll do Housewife. She'll do It's an Art. She'll do The Mason even. She'll well, do they'll, Joe. They'll duet It's an Art, her and Amber. Yeah. And they can actually duet on Millwork too. I'll like, I would like, yes, that would be yes. a great. Not since Patty blended with Christine Ebersole has a duet been so important to the gays. <laughs> Uh, oh man i said a lot of things on this show that's so cursed <laughs> bam <laughs> but you've said worse on my podcast life's but a song available everywhere you're listening to this podcast oh yes i have <laughs> i have said many a terrible things that i stand by all of them and i stand by you too because i'm so happy that you said it <laughs> yes you've said many times that uh you like having me on because you never know what i'm gonna say and to be honest I don't ever talk with the intention of shocking you. I just talk. Uh, right. But then you yeah. say something and I'm just like, huh. But <laughs> but I want to make it clear whenever, anytime someone listens to the podcast, of your podcast, and they go, I don't know, maybe Matt's trying to like be quotable. I'm like, I'm really nope. not. And in fact, nope. sometimes I see the quotes that you put on there. And then after I listen to the episode, I'm like, I'm not sure John posted my best quotes. <laughs> I don't think I do either. <laughs> For example, I, after listening to the Sound of Music episode, available anywhere you listen to podcasts, no biggie, it's the most downloaded episode on, on the podcast history. <laughs> <My> podcast, yes. <laughs> but at one point when I'm talking about Elsa, the Baroness Elsa and Max, and sort of their character trajectory in the show, when it's uh, when it comes to the Nazis, they're like, we could fight the Nazis. Or we could I actually fight. did pull that, and I didn't post it, because yet. You didn't I, have the balls. I didn't have the balls, and I was just like, <sighs> That would I was I was going I I I think I just forgot to like use it in another post somewhere. Honestly, that whole three minute section where I talk about Elsa and Max and how they view the Nazis, I think there are like three or four really solid quotes there. The other one is like, "We must fight the Nazis. Must fight their champagne to be had." And I think you could (laughs) use all of that to re-advertise my episode, which is should absolutely be done to quote Reese Witherspoon in an election. Coca-Cola is the world's number one soft drink, soft drink, and they spend more money on advertising than anybody. So. Well, everyone, you should pay attention to the different social media platforms because I have plans for the future. He got plans for the future. I, I got no plans. I have plans. I may actually start using my Twitter account. What? Who? Where? Huh? <laughs> well, by the time this comes out, I may have already started doing it, but I may start posting my close friends Broadway reviews publicly on my Instagram, TBD. After my Funny Girl review, a lot of people are like, you should really make this public. I know it's kind of scathing, but it's but it's worth reading. <laughs> and like, I mean, it's your opinion. So like- Yeah, it's my opinion. However, I will say with complete objectivity, I'm usually right. Yes, but like people, <laughs> I feel like people, not just y- you, I mean, like with other reviewers, uh, mm-hmm. uh, especially like with movies and stuff, when they give it a scathing review and I'm like, it's fine as a movie. I don't know what you want. You wanted like gold 
Jesus to come out of the screen and be like, this is gold, my son. Like, well, is that what you want? Uh, so I like, don't care. I don't care what it, when it comes to Broadway, I don't care what it is. If I don't care what genre they're going for, whatever, like if you're going to do it, be the best version of it you can be. And I think there are shows of various kinds that do that. Like I have said this before on the podcast, like six is a silly show, but I think it's so smart about how stupid it is. and so stupid about how smart it is. It really hits the bullseye of what it's trying to achieve. And then other shows, uh, you know, that I think maybe aim a little higher and maybe are a little messier, but I can forgive that for the loftier uh, aspirations. But when a show is like trying to be silly and doesn't even achieve that well, like if it's mm-hmm. sloppy that way, I'm like, no, no, I don't forgive you. But I go yeah. into all shows with an open mind. And I also do come at like, this is my opinion, but I also very much back it up with like, listen, here's why this is my opinion. Um, and I give historical context to give object, uh, objective context. So that is why I've been asked to post some of my more skating stuff publicly. Because well, <laughs> was your um, 21st century musical movies reviews, was that public or is that for friends? If that was that's uh, that was public. And then the updated 1980, 2022, that's public as well. Because I really liked what you wrote about them because you're just like, this is last because of this reason. Yeah. And like, you still have to have it in the scope of like, this is Matt's opinion. Sure. This is it. This isn't the be all end all of everything. So like, I believe I did say it was because of science. So uh, I do, I use it. I actually use it as a scapegoat whenever anyone's like, well, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, blame science, sweetie, not me. I, I'm, I just, I typed in the data and the computer told me what to rank it. Also, I feel like you missed a show. And I, but I don't think it was a Broadway show. I found another musical movie from the uh, 21st century that that's based off of a stage show that I missed. Yes. Tell me which I forget. I actually for literally now just forgot the name of it. It's, it's like, uh, people are trapped on a subway car. Oh no, I did that one. It's called stuck stuck. Great. Oh, it's absolutely on there. It's uh, it's crash the musical. That's what it is. That's what, that's what, right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I, Cause I read it. I read it on your thing. I forgot. Clearly I forgot yeah. that you did it. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, Oh, I wonder if Matt did that one. <laughs> yeah. No, it's bad. It's bad. It's, def- uh, it's definitely like all these people are on the subway and it's that classic, like, what's your story. <laughs> and yeah. And then people basically just like, here's my story, racism. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> here we are. It's much like this show working. Except where it's working like, what's the- your story? What's your job? What's your job? I make the money and then I put the money in my house and then I put it on the table with the food. Uh, yeah, that is it. That is working. That is working the musical in a nutshell. John, this has been delightful. Where can people find you if you want them to find you? So um, like I've been dropping and saying, I have a podcast called Life's But a Song. It's available anywhere you're listening to this one. You can find me on the socials anywhere at But A Song Pod. I also have a second podcast that I don't even know if you know I have this. Um, Myself and my co-host, Shady, we compare uh, similar movies in a podcast called Movie Deja Vu. We create create like a verbal Venn diagram talking about these movies. And you can find us uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Movie Deja Vu Pod. And we're on Twitter at Movie Deja Vu. No pod. Yes. That's hot. If you want to follow me, I am on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, you can give us a nice uh, rating, a review. You can subscribe. We just got a new rating, but not a new review. We're now up to 88. I would love to get to 100 by the end of this series, but honestly, TBD. 
these are Apple reviews? Yeah, uh, yes. You go on the Apple podcast and you see all the reviews. But I do think that when you rank something, you, uh, have, even on a, on a different uh, app, it'll go through Apple still. I have 13 reviews. <laughs> there you go. People like my stuff, please, or review it. Please and yeah. thank you. I always forget to say that, but like, you know to do it. Listen, Sound of Music is your most downloaded episode yet. A solid 55 people have listened to it. Well, wait, let me, hold on. I want to, we should make sure that we're saying the right number. I was joking. I'm sure it's way more than that. I th- I think you are correct. But At 55? Uh, more than 55. Ah, fuck, I lost it. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, later. you'll tell me, tell me off, Mike. We, people don't need to know the actual numbers of your episodes. Um, anyway, that's it. If, uh, so make sure you stick around for next week, y'all, where we will be talking about Drum roll, please. Brr. Smile. Smile. Ooh. Finally, I get to have a whole episode dedicated to Smile. It's going to have the godmother of Breakdown on it as my guest, one Miss Ali Gordon. And also, I think when Smile comes out, we will be launching the Patreon for Broadway Breakdown and we will be finally uh, expanding the uh, movies adapted from stage musicals list on the Patreon. I'll have more information about that later on and on my Insta. I'm trying to think we should have closed this out who's related to working. We've done Patty and a lot of the other women who have been involved in the show. There aren't multiple recordings of them in other things. Lynn Thickpin, come on. But I don't know if Lynn's in any other cast recordings is all I'm saying. Uh... Well, no, she's in the Godspell movie, you said, right? Yes? Yeah. So we'll close out with Lynn singing Oh Bless the Lord My Soul or whatever song she has in the Godspell movie. Great. We will close out with the late, great Lynn Thickpin. Thank you so much, John. This has been amazing. Once again, guys, we will see you next week for Smile. Cannot fucking wait. And this is Lynn. Take us away, Lynn. Bye. Bye. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise.